only a visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? You've got to catch the humor of that. <laughs> this is Jesus. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then was told what had happened on the road and how he had, was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Now, he does the eating of the fish just to show he's a human being. So the ghost doesn't eat, so he just says, you know, you got something to eat? I'll eat it. And these guys are looking at him and thinking that they're seeing an apparition or a ghost of some kind. And so one of the things that I'd like to kind of use today as I look at this message and look at this passage of Scripture is to kind of bridge off of an adage that we use, and many of you have heard it, and you can maybe finish it for me, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. All of you have heard that, right? And it's a fairly good thing to have as a, not as a 
definite rule in life, but kind of as a thing that you have in the back of your mind. So if you're out looking for a used car, and every car of that year is $20,000, give or take a few, and then you see one that's $12,000, and it's the same year, it should always raise red flags to you that I need to investigate. Now, it could be true, but most of the time, probably not. So I almost got taken on this one just recently. Uh, on our trip to Arizona, last fall I was looking for a place to stay, and I forget what site I was on, maybe VRBO or one of those, and there was this condo at a golf course, Legacy Golf Course, and it was a condo. It was a little too expensive. And so I went on Airbnb, and here is the same one. And I wasn't skeptical enough. It was $80 a night, and I was like, well, probably because of the shutdown and COVID and all this, they're having difficulty renting out the condo for travelers, and so it's 80 bucks a night. That's a really good deal, so I'm taking it. It's on Airbnb. It's probably the golf course doing it, and I should have been more skeptical. Well, fortunately, one of my daughters had a little bit more uh, experience with Airbnb, Two weeks before we went, she's looking at the host, and she says, are you aware that this host has really bad reviews? And they gouge people. They, three days before you get there, you get a notification that you owe a lot more money. I'm like, oh, wow, that's really good. You know, uh, <laughs> what's going to happen here? <laughs> so I prayed about it. Well, it all worked out really well. They had a strict cancellation policy, no money back after a certain amount of days. Uh, after, I think, two or three months after you make the reservation, you could only get 50% back, and uh, then nothing. And so I'm like, well, you know, I prayed about it. I'm like, you know what? I have to contact her before she contacts me, because the next contact may be I need more money. So I did send her an email, and I left a nice wide-open door for her. At the end, I said, I anticipate an experience with you that will allow me to recommend you to other people. And then I get an email a couple days later. It said, sorry for the inconvenience. We canceled and refunded your money in full. And I'm like, I'm not asking one question. I'm just taking the money and <laughs> being glad I got out of it. So if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. However... That's not always true. When you get to Scripture that we looked at, that is exactly what the disciples struggled with. It all sounded way too good to be true, and those of you who have lost loved ones can maybe think about this a little bit, about what your experience would have been like this morning if you would have walked into church here and either your wife, your husband, or your child, or brother or sister who you lost in a tragic death was standing inside the door and you walk in the door and there they are. And you're like, no, wait a minute, this is not real. I'm not awake. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not seeing right. This is not right. That's what these people felt the same thing because crucifixion is this horrible, excruciating death where if you were watching someone die that was a loved one, you would just be delighted when they breathed their, breathed their last breath. That's how horrible it was. I'm not going to go into detail how horrible it was, but these people would linger for days. Uh, many times they would linger 
for maybe two, three, four days before they actually died and they would die from asphyxiation. But it wasn't sudden because nothing was really choking them except the fact that they finally couldn't lift themselves up and their lungs would fill with fluid and finally you just kind of couldn't breathe. And so if it was Jesus and he was your loved one, the, time, the moment he breathed his last, while it was tragic, you would have been like, I'm just thankful he could die quickly and didn't need to suffer longer. So you watch that, and that's all in your mind. And then you have in Scripture, um, it is interesting, we have a lot of events recorded about Friday. Saturday, it does appear in Scripture that the chief priest went to Pilate and talked to him about securing the tomb until the third day. But it's this quiet day where Scripture hardly records anything that is taking place during that day. It's a day when you watched your loved one die, you saw him pass away, and now you're left with the grief and the pain and the heartache of not only losing a loved one, but the dashed hopes and dreams that you dared to dream. These were people, and if you followed along carefully in the passage of Scripture that I just read, they said, we had hope that he was the one to free Israel or redeem Israel. He was the one who was going to set us free. Now, in their minds, it would have been Roman rule, but they did think of him as a Messiah figure, and they felt like this was God's man. I mean, how could you watch a man raise the dead, heal the sick, and not believe that there's something extraordinary about him? So Easter is bracketed by two things, the empty tomb and the resurrected Christ. And we have in the middle of this people who cannot quite connect the two. They know the tomb is empty. They went and they looked at it. And it's interesting to go through the gospel accounts because they would go and they would look and they would see, well, he wasn't there. He's not in the tomb. And sometimes the person would tell him, well, I saw him. Mary Magdalene had an encounter with him as a gardener, and then she recognized him early in the morning. And so they would hear these reports. The disciples would hear these reports that, you know, I was with him, I saw him, I talked with him. But it was just too good to be true. And for them, it was, if it's too good to be true, then kind of like it is for us, it probably is not true. And so there's this sadness and sorrow and heartache and the impact of losing Jesus. Jesus was loved by the common man of his day. The average Jew loved Jesus. I mean, they would go, they, they not only loved the miracles he did, they also loved the things he said. And I think there was something liberating about his message that when you heard it, you, you, you knew this was truth. You knew it was from God. You knew it was so different from what they were used to hearing. They were used to listening to scribes and Pharisees who probably droned on and on and on, who had all these restrictions and regulations and yet seemed so lifeless, didn't seem like there was power there. And then there's Jesus whose message is full of life, whose message is refreshing. You go to hear him. And they dared to hope that it could be different than what it had been. And now that's all crushed by watching him die. Because death is an end, isn't it? 
I mean, we know today that the ones who die, who we love, who are Christians, live again, but we believe that because there was a first resurrection based on Jesus rising from the dead. But think about living at a time before Jesus rose from the dead. Death seems like a very final episode that happens. Now, these two men are walking along on the way. They're talking, they're sad, and then Jesus shows up in their midst and begins to talk to them. In verse 15, it says that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. In verse 16, there's a miracle that happens. By some means, God kept them from recognizing who Jesus was, or Jesus did that himself. It wasn't, I think, that his looks were so different, it's that their mind was kept from recognizing who he is. And it wasn't until he breaks bread that they actually recognized who Jesus is. And so as he begins to talk to them, they tell him, you know, this was Jesus. He was mighty, a man mighty, a prophet in verse 19. Mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. And then how the chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death. We had hoped he'd be the one to redeem Israel. And then they make an interesting comment. Yes, and beside all this, now it is the third day. The third day had a lot of significance because Jesus talked about it a lot. So much so that the Pharisees and the religious rulers went to Pilate and said, this guy talked about rising on the third day. Put a guard on the tomb to make sure he doesn't come out. The disciples here said, yeah, and it, it is the third day, but they just couldn't quite come to believing it because it seemed too good to be true. The other emotion, not only did they feel sadness and sorrow at the loss of Jesus, they also felt incredible amount of fear. Fear was kind of an overwhelming emotion that these men felt. When Jesus appears to them, later on in the portion of Scripture that I read, it is in verse 36. They were talking, they had met with the disciples, and other Gospels talk about the fact that they were in a room with locked doors. They were afraid that the Jewish rulers would decide, hey, you know what, we killed this man, why don't we just kill a few more? And so they're fearful of what may happen to them. It is interesting to note what these men say about their encounter with Jesus. Jesus begins in the scriptures and he begins to tell them all the things about himself and begins to explain Old Testament prophecy, how it relates to him. He says this in verse 25, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then he begins in the Old Testament, and he moves through there, and he shares with them God's plan and purpose, that everything that had happened in his life had a purpose and a plan. The end of or Jesus' death was not some horrible accident or something that was an incredible tragedy. We look at his death through the lens of the resurrection and it creates a very different picture of it. Now, it's horrible to think the way Jesus died, but I today am incredibly grateful that Jesus did die. He died so that I could have life and it was necessary. He died in my place. 
So I want to look, so you have the sadness, you have the empty tomb, they discover the body is not there. But I want to end today looking at the resurrection and the implications that it has for all of us today. Because the resurrection is kind of like this dividing line. It is, so the death of Jesus was necessary, but it is remarkable because of the resurrection. If Jesus were not alive today, his death would just be like every other good man who ever died. But the fact that he is alive today means that his death was very different. And so in the resurrection of Jesus, you have death turned to life. You have despair gives way to hope. Sadness and sorrow are turned into indescribable joy. So you have them on one side, despairing and sad. On the other side, they become these people who are incredibly filled with joy and happiness. The fact that Jesus is alive, but also because of what it means for every one of them. Their eyes were opened. And then in verse 32, they make an interesting comment about their experience with Jesus as he's talking with them. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? I like the way the Holman Bible translation says this verse. It says, weren't our hearts ablaze within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scripture to us? It's kind of like just something within them burned with a longing. These men loved Jesus. I mean, they did. Jesus was... Not only the way, the truth, and the life, but he was a dear friend to his disciples. I think, genuinely speaking, these men loved to be with him. He was, I think, a lot of fun to be around. And that, not only that, but he spoke life and he spoke truth. And in the resurrection, it is possible for all of us to live and to experience life to the full as God has designed for us. To see the resurrected Christ was a gift given to those who in spite of doubts dared to believe. If you think through, and, and I've wondered about this and I don't know, scripture does not give us an answer, but so Jesus rises from the dead. If you follow through the Gospels, every single one of his appearances is to people who were his disciples. Did you ever think, so what would it have been like if Jesus would have risen from the dead <clears throat> and the chief priests are meeting in their temple court in their little room and they're having their little powwow, and what if Jesus would have just showed up in there, scared the daylights out of these men? What if he would have showed up in Pilate's palace? and walked in there and said, hey, you crucified me, here I am. Why did Jesus only appear to those who believed? Why did he not go to people who didn't believe in him at all? I don't fully know the answer, but I do know that encountering the risen Christ is a gift that God gives to those who believe and to those who want to believe. And those whose hearts are hard and cold and indifferent to God, he doesn't show himself. So if you want to believe, he invites you to believe, and you want, you encounter him, 
But if your heart is hard, he feels no need to prove somehow to you that he is who he is. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so today, in him, it doesn't mean that we do not at times feel despair. It doesn't mean that we do not struggle with the issue of death. It does not mean that we do not feel sadness and sorrow. What it does mean is that all of that is changed and it's different for the Christian than it is for the non-Christian. So even in the midst of our sorrow, we experience a joy. Because death is not the end. It is not the final chapter. It was not the final chapter for Jesus. And one of the things, so when Jesus starts to talk to them about the Old Testament, he starts, it says he began with Moses and he goes through the prophets and then it says all of scripture, which would be the Psalms and all of the writings of scripture. He works his way through all of those. Part of it is to tell these people, look, it's all a part of God's plan. Everything that has happened in the past is all a part of God's plan and purpose, and it's now culminating in the resurrection of Jesus. Nothing that happened back here was an accident or nothing happened outside of God's control. God has always been in control. And so for us today, the resurrection of Jesus, I think, speaks to us that in the midst of whatever we face in life, God is in control. He is. And Christians believe in a brighter tomorrow. That's what hope is. A brighter tomorrow. So if you're here today and you're tempted to think that this year or next year or the following year things may get worse and worse and worse, let me invite you to look at Jesus. Because in Jesus, there's hope, which means that the, bright, the future is always bright. And no matter what happens, God is always in control. And God has a purpose and a plan. He has a purpose and a plan for all of our lives. I want to wrap up <clears throat> with, um, this comes out of the message. And it's verse 40 and 41 where Jesus has been showing himself to them. And he says this, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. So they could look, they could see the nail print, they could see the scars. And then in verse 41 it says, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. They just couldn't wrap their mind around it. So here's what the message says on those verses. As he, Jesus, said this, he showed them his hands and feet. They still couldn't believe what they were seeing. It was too much. It seemed too good to be true. So while in life we may, for the sake of our own well-being, hold to the adage, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. In the Christian life, that is not true. The resurrection it's too good to be true, but it's true. The eternal well-being of all those who are followers of Jesus is too good to be true, but it's true. And heaven is a place that when you get there, it will strike you that this is unbelievable. This seems too good to be true, but it's true. 
And it is in the Christian faith that what seems too good to be true is really true. And the gospel message is good news. That's the nutshell of the meaning of the word gospel. And I can't think of better news to tell you today than Jesus is alive. And he's alive forevermore. So Jake, go ahead. <coughs>